What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. And as ever, I'm being joined by a guest. And today we're going to be doing... We're starting out well. I was going to call it The Summer of Stallone. And it was going to be out released a little earlier, but didn't get around to it. So... Um, it's still going to be sort of the summer-ish of Stallone. We're going to do a little mini retrospective for Stallone films, independent sort of uh, standalone films that don't usually get picked up in those franchise discussions. Uh, well, we're going to be talking about uh, Nighthawks, Cobra in this episode, and then later on we're going to be talking about Cliffhanger and Daylight. And I could not pick a better person to t- join me to talk about Stallone. I'm joined by Max Byrne. Max, how are you doing? You okay? Hey Scott, yeah, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you very much for having me on again. I uh, love being on the show. It's a treat and a privilege. And speaking of treats and privilege, what better to talk about than the great man himself, the icon, the myth, the legend that is Sylvester Enzio Stallone. What a guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, we, we did uh, recently, we did, now that's what I call 80s action. And obviously, yes. you know, Stallone is a banner, marquee name uh, of 80s action. Um, and and these two, well, the second one, Cobra in particular, is sort of like, for me at least, like a go-to Stallone action film. It's you know, there's a lot in there. Um, but yeah, the thing, did you see the news about Sylvester Stallone? Suicide Squad, the, the 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 achievement that Suicide Squad has given Stallone. Yes, where he's he's had a number one box office film in the last is it the last six well, decades 70, yeah it's it's madness, last, isn't it? yeah so for the last six decades yeah. he's had at least one uh number one hit film in every decade like no one else has can, can claim that so yeah yeah so the, i mean you know man's a legend the guy the guy is cool you know um constantly working and the thing as i will say about stallone is like he gets panned you know, people who sort of like pan his acting or sort of stuff, and which I think is a real shame because I think he's actually mm. a pretty good actor. I think he's got some good comedy chops as well when used properly. But you, yeah. you know, people forget like he's a writer, he's a director, he's a producer. Like he's done like you know worn many many hats. Yeah. Um. So you know, true sort of uh, titan of Hollywood. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. He, he he doesn't get the the sort of fair praise he deserves, and is un, you know unfairly sort of labelled as a quote unquote you know sort of eighties musclehead jacked up kind of guy, you know one dimensional. And mm. to to that note, some of his films do sort of lean to that way, don't they? Of yeah, course, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can understand that perception of him. But certainly, there's a lot more strings to his bow than people understand. You know, multi-talented guy and a very intelligent guy. You know, mm-hmm. he just perhaps his his persona or his public persona perhaps doesn't lend itself to that. But I think you know, like when we like you said in the, the last time we talked, we were talking about you know him and Arnie and how we sort of see Arnie as more of a more of an entertainer in his yeah. sort of canon of work when Stallone is much more of an artist with what he mm. brings to the table behind the scenes, as well as in front of the camera. Um, yeah. And I just, I just think he's one of the all time greats, you know, yes, yeah. he's 
has done his fair share of awful films. There are some <laughs> stinkers in his catalogue, and I'll freely admit that. But there are, you know, some absolute stone cold classics that just completely stand the test of time, repeat viewing. I think the man's a legend. I think he yeah. is a legend. Long may continue. Maybe we'll get another decade. Maybe. Of a number yeah. One film. How could that be? Seven decades. <laughs> um, one of the things I would say is, like you say, you know, we talked about sort of the other got Arnie. Arnie's biography, uh, Total Recall, um, that came out several years ago, <laughs> is excellent. It's an absolute stonker of a biography. Covers yes. loads of stuff behind, you know, both his, his acting, his politics, all this other stuff. Fascinating guy, fascinating biography. I, the, Stallone needs to give like, a, a biography like that. Like he needs to get on it, you know, because I think like he's got some stories to tell. And uh, one of the stories would be including one of the women in, uh, uh, or some of the stories I should say, involving one of the women in the films we're going to talk about, um, Bridget Nielsen, because they had a relationship sometimes. So, yeah, there's a lot of stories I'd love to hear him, you know, retell those. So, anyway, cracking on, and you know, blowing smoke up Stallone's ass enough for now. Let's really sort of <laughs> actually talk about the films. We'll carry on blowing smoke in a minute, but. The two films we're going to talk about today are Nighthawks from uh, 1981, yes, 1981, yep. and Cobra from 1986. And we're going to jump in and start talking about Nighthawks. So Nighthawks, uh, Sylvester Stallone, uh, Billy D. Williams, uh, just after Empire Strikes Back, and uh, Rutger Hauer, really. I think that's sort of the main sort of cast. Yeah. Um, interesting film. So the film basically is it's a New York set film. Uh, a terrorist, played by Rutger Hauer, uh, is identified as having come to the States, and uh, Stallone and Billy D. Williams are made to join a ter- anti-terrorist task force to track down uh, this guy. They are sort of like maverick cops that do all kinds of weird things, including dressing in drag, to take down gangs in New York. <laughs> um, and then the action ensues from there. But what's the action? But it's not... This isn't, you know a heavy hitting all exploding kind of action film. This is much closer to a seventies cop thriller um, than sort of an all out action uh, blockbuster. So but, but Max, what are your thoughts on the first thoughts on uh, um, Nighthawks? Funnily enough, the first thing I wrote down um, ahead of this was, and it's something you've already touched on is this looks, feels and sounds like a seventies film. Yes. Although, it, like you said, it came out in 81, so it would have been made 80 or 81. It is literally still very much based in that 70s cop, hard-boiled yeah. film. It's not, you know, Stallone here is not the muscled action man. He's not the one-man army. Uh, that would come later. Mm. Obviously, we'll, you know, the, that sort of 80s sensibility hadn't yet come to fruition by 81, I don't think. So that kind of that kind of action man, muscle man kind of thing hadn't really come to the fore. So this is like a very different sounding film. I mean, it, it, it literally could have been made in 1975. If someone said to yeah. you, this, this film came out in 75, it came out the year after Rocky One or something like that, you'd go, all oh, right, uh, yeah, I guess it is. You know, you wouldn't, you, wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't question it, would you? No, no. You'd watch this and, go, you know, like you say, you would see this and go, oh, yeah, this is in the same vein of, like, Serpico or yeah. uh, The French Connection. Like, it exists yeah. in that in that world. Um, and I kind of love it for that, that, you know, it, uh, watching this, I was mentioning to somebody else actually today, I said, this film has reminded me how much I love grimy New York films. Like, yeah. you know, New York of the 70s and that, those early 80s. Such a character, such a fascinating place. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. 
It, it does. It, it looked like just a horrible, dirty, <laughs> gritty, violent place to live, didn't it? It didn't look like the kind of, you know, I mean, everyone dreams of going to New York, don't they? You know, wherever you come from in the world, it's kind of on your to-do list of places to go and visit, you know, mm -hmm. on a holiday or whatever and see all the sights. But when you look at those 70s films, it looks like a terrible, terrible place to be. <laughs> yeah. And if, obviously it isn't now. I don't want anyone to take the wrong end of the stick, but, it, it you know, the, it, the way it's filmed and everything, it just looks like a dirty, horrible place. And funnily enough, you know, you said obviously it sounds, it, it's not sound, sorry, it, it looks like um, like the world of the French Connection. Mm. Funnily enough, I don't know if this is true. I read this off Wikipedia. So if, if it isn't true, <laughs> then obviously, but no, it'll be. But the guy who wrote the screenplay, David Shaber, this was originally planned as the French Connection Part 3, believe it or not. Oh, really? Um, I can believe yeah. it. Yeah. So David Shaber, who wrote the script for Nighthawks, it said it was originally planned as the French Connection 3 and would have Gene Hackman's Popeye Doyle teamed up with a wise cracking cop, possibly played by Richard Pryor, which oh. you know, obviously shoehorning Billy D. Williams there. Yeah. But, but Hackman was reluctant to make a third film as the character from the French Connection. So obviously that without Hackman, you've got no film. So the mm. idea was scrapped. The, the film was scrapped. Universal acquired the rights to the storyline and then Shaber himself reworked the, the basic plot into Nighthawks. So yeah, it could have been French Connection 3. Well, it, and it totally works because obviously the character of the terrorist, of you know, um, the Rutger Hauer character, is clearly yeah. a, you know, he's a, Euro, he's a foreign, he's a European terrorist. So yeah, no, yeah. that makes total sense. You know, yeah, having that in and, and it's uh, this idea of tracking him down in New York yeah. Um, not sure how I would feel about Gene Hackman in drag, you know. I'm sure. <laughs> odd, odd That's why I didn't want to do it, you know. Yeah, Maybe that yeah. was a deal breaker. Um, drag up at the very start and the very end of the film, you know. You know, we're already building this. One of the things I want, I was going to throw in later, but I'm going to do it now actually, is because you've just brought one connection. So this film, so Nighthawk, started as one thing and became another. Yeah. So did Cobra. So both right. of these, both of these are films that have landed with Stallone having all been something else. So this obviously was the French, potentially was going to be the French Connection three, and Cobra was uh, his version. He approached, I think, if it was Paramount or whatever, with that being his version of, of Beverly Hills Cop. Wow. Well, I, I did. I had heard that he was before. Beverly Hills Cop became what it did with Eddie Murphy. That he was Stallone was kind of linked to the project, but I didn't realize that Cobra was like kind of morphed from that no i didn't know that yeah basically he was given the plot and told to give notes went away re rewrote it and came back with cobra <laughs> <laughs> and they were like no that's not really what we want we want something a bit yeah. more like hearted we want this we want that and then um so he took it away and, and warner brothers made it allowed him to make it mm -hmm. um because they owed, they owed him a favor um so, yes, yeah, so that's two films. And, and the other thing I'm going to say as well, I'll throw it in now because I want to explain it later, is I, I in my head canon, although they have different names, I could see De Silva becoming Cobretti. Like, I, I, in my head, there's a story where these are a sequel to each other. Mm. And, I'll oh, get yeah. to, and, and I'll get to that in a bit. But, um, nice. but yes, no, it's interesting that, like you said, you know, Stallone sort of, like, morphing films from something else. Um but you're right, but this one definitely has that 70s sensibility. It's, you know, it's grimy, it's gritty, it's got the paces, you know, it's not all car chases and stuff. It's just got a couple of set pieces. Um, it is sort of a detective story. Uh, Stallone going for that sort of like young Al Pacino look with the beard and, and all that mm. kind of stuff. Um, 
is really interesting. And, I, you know, it was sometimes forgotten that it was that. So, I, yeah, I really enjoyed sort of digging into this from a detective uh, story point of view. What, what are your thoughts on some of the bits, like the fact that this film opens, well, the, the opening stunt or the opening gag, whatever you want to call it, um, of... of <laughs> It, it, it's weird because sort of like you watch so the bit for those that haven't seen it. If you've watched it, well, if, you know, go watch it. So we're going to spoil the crap out of this in a minute. But it basically opens with a woman getting out of a car and walking down the street in the, at night in New York. And as, as Max has said, like it's portrayed as being this sort of like denizen of crime. You know, this this hovel of place, and literally within like forty feet, like she's been followed, and people are about to steal her purse. But it's quite also clear that this, this this woman that they're trying to hide in shadow as much as possible is pretty. I mean, you know, not let's say not ripped, but you know, a, a butch, beefy kind of of, of, <laughs> of frame, and so it's suspicious to begin with. And then when someone tries to grab the purse, she's this this whole, this woman nails them with the bag, um, and then pulls off the mask to reveal Sylvester bearded Sylvester Stallone underneath. And Billy D. Williams comes out of nowhere, and yeah. it's 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 slightly jarring from a tonal point of view because I'm like, you know, you sort of go, okay, the rest of the film is fine until the very end. We'll get to the end as well, but like, it's just weird. Like, it makes me laugh. I can't not laugh at this moment that they're trying to make you take deadly serious. Yeah, but you're like, oh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah, because not only like you obviously you've just perfectly described the, the sequence of events, but then it's not just the fact that they take down the villains, it's the fact that he ha- the third one of the three that come is that he has to give chase and he's <laughs> chasing this guy up the stairs to like the sort of train station, subway station in full drag, you know, um, tights, skirt, cardigan, you know, yeah. dressed like he's an the old, he's dressed like an old yeah, he's dressed like an old and he's like he's chasing this guy onto the train platform where he eventually corners him at the end of this platform and then he's like and then he's like yeah come on come, in typical Stallone fashion he's like yeah come on badass come, yeah. come on come you ain't no man badass. you ain't no man yeah. come on yeah exactly yeah bring it on badass and all this <laughs> and he incapacitates the guy with the, the scarf he's been wearing as a woman yeah. he's got you know he didn't think to like just put a gun in his purse or or, or put no. his tights or anything like that he literally takes this guy on and takes him out with the woman's scarf and it's just bonkers it's, it's <laughs> great i mean fair play to Stallone for be willing to do yeah, yeah. that as well yeah you know especially in, in in you know in in his younger days when he was you know all about being macho and all the rest of it you know you think perhaps now he'd probably do it more freely but especially back then i mean i mean granted arnie did it didn't he in late years in yeah. total recall in total recall of course you know yeah. dressed up full drag well kind of um but here, you know, slide. But it, it is just that scene of him sprinting after this yeah. thug, dressed as an old as an older woman. It is genius. But it kind of, in, in a way, it's 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 very well to watch it with, like you know, yeah, yeah, hindsight and yeah. watching it. I can't obviously, I can't exactly remember the first time I watched it. But that the I mean, it's skipping ahead. But the end of the film, where he, he uses the same trick if you will in it from mm-hmm. his uh, his repertoire to fool Rutgerhauer's <laughs> villainous Wolfgar character at the end and I don't know whether it's signposting it too much as to whether the grand reveal at the end where you think it's Stallone's ex-wife who's yeah. about to get it in the flat and obviously it turns out again Stallone again in, in lovely drag 
did it signpost it too much? I don't know. I'd love to get like a first time viewer's perspective on it as to whether showing him doing that at the start of the film spoils the tension at the very, very end because you think he's going to turn around and it's sly, you know, and it is, you know. I don't know. What did you it's, think? No, it, it, it's a payoff. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like Chekhov's drag. It's that sort of thing of like, you know, <laughs> if you're going to dress up as a woman to catch criminals in the first act, you're going to do yeah. it, it for the third. Um, it works okay. I'm quite fine. It, it's fine. Yeah. As you say, I think it's just sort of that thing of like, especially when he is sprinting across the train station, <laughs> the train. <laughs> it does, it looks ridiculous. It pays off. Yeah. Um, but there are other ways, again, it's, it's one of these things when I watch these films, I'm like, yeah, I get what you're doing, but there are still other ways that you could have done this. Like, you know, um, even in my own head, I was like, you know, this thing of like, if you want to use a woman as bait and he gets, you know, then he gets pulled up for it and it actually pay, and then using actually using his um ex-wife as a as bait at the end of the film and him coming out of nowhere and taking out Rick Howard. Like, there's other ways of doing it, but it's fine. It's what they chose to do. Yeah. Um and it, it's also the film is very much about disguise and hiding in plain sight as well. Like, you know, the whole thing of like um Rutger Hauer's character sort of after um committing a bomb it's in London, isn't it? He, he bombs Start, a, yeah. yeah department store in London. Yeah. Um and then they have to give him some plastic surgery and and so it, it, the whole film is very much about disguise and, and all this other stuff. So it fits in with that that theme and that motif. So yeah. um, I think part of it is, a, is just the, the intensity that Stallone gives it as well, uh, especially at the end where like he just spins around and you've got this sort of like blonde wig draped awkwardly <laughs> over him and he's got this really intense look on his face. And you think like, just pull the wig off, pull that wig off because this, <laughs> this scene looks a bit daft, ruining the tension. <laughs> Um, but it's fine, it works. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what are your thoughts? You know, you said that this film was originally going to be um, you know, Gene Hackman and um, like Richard Pryor, which would have definitely been more hand in hand with sort of probably been. Well, to be fair, if that had been the case, would it have been? Um, would it have been the first Buddy Cop film? Because of course, the first Buddy Cop film doesn't come until the next year, eighty two, within forty eight hours. Yeah. Um, so the idea of this sort of like, you know, the black and white, you know, duo, mm. cop duo, or you know, and especially one with being a, 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 you know, a loudmouth, Richard Pryor and Gene Hackman. I do wonder if that was the original concept, if someone didn't walk out of that office and was like, I'm, I'm keeping that. Mm. And then later yeah. on was like Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. Could have been. Could have been. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because this is a, in a sensibly a buddy cop film. You know, mm. the, the, him and Billy D. Williams. You know, um, obviously everyone knows him as Landau Carrison, but he's playing a very, very different character yeah. here. You know, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of comedy banter between them because this is a deadly serious film. There's hardly I don't I barely remember any jokes in this film or like any even moments of like levity. It's deadly serious. Mm. Um, I mean, when you first see them as well, like Billy D he literally has to be talked down by from slight from executing they go on, they go you first see him they go and like <laughs> bust up a, a crack den don't they or something yeah. like this and they go in there and billy D. williams is irate for some reason and yeah. pulls a shot puts a shotgun in the one of the crackheads faces and he's gonna he's gonna blow him away he's gonna because the guy keeps calling him a pig and and all that you know taunting well, he's, him he's, he keeps saying to him how much to kill your pig friend like he's you know yeah. he thinks he's corrupt so he's, and he gets really angry about it so 
Yeah, no, it, like you say, there's, yeah, there's no humour in this. <laughs> no, no, there's no comedy banter. Like you said, that would come the next year with 48 yeah. Hours. It's it's the, the the buddy cops in the way that they're partners and they have yeah. a very effective way of working. But it's they're all business here, you know. There's no there's no bants or anything like I, that. I do love that moment though when they do, just before they're doing that because they sneak in uh, through the back, don't they? They sort of like yes. climbed up the roof. Yeah, and they come in through the roof and they sort of check each other before they go in. And then they go in, and, and then because um, they they're both wearing these long coats, and so you think, oh, it's, it's cold, it's New York, whatever. Yeah. And as they're going down the, the stairwell, it's really cool because, like, um, like you say, Billy D like reaches in and pulls out a shotgun, <laughs> like a big proper shotgun out of his coat, and then Stallone sort of pulls this, like he reaches in and pulls this sort of string, and then that releases a, a like a massive gun that he's got as well that he's had draped around his arm, so. As you say, these cops aren't messing around. These are like those 70s super cops, you know, that sort of like, you know, uh, I mean, they're they're leaning quite heavily again onto that sort of um, dirty Harry kind of thing. You know, we don't play by the rules. We've got to be, you know, uh, we've got to be out on the streets, you know, (laughs) busting skulls kind of thing. (laughs) Um, But I I do like them. Like I said, that that scene I think is really cool because the casualness with which they sort of, reveal those massive guns and they're just like oh no they've done this before like they are well you know versed in how to do this it's really cool yeah yeah you can tell they've been working together a long time and yeah they're in this they're like part of this street crimes unit you know and you see later them doing like trying to do another boss where they're under that s- sort of subway tunnel but then mm. it gets ruined by a patrol car coming down and then they're all ki- ki- all the police are kicking off with each other but um yeah it's quite established and then obviously when they get recruited um, to this special anti-terrorist task force with the the uh, the guy from the British, why someone from the British Metropolitan Police would be told to go over to New York to head up a task force? I'm not quite sure why, but nevertheless. Yeah. Um, but they, they when they're saying to the, their police captain, you know, why else? And he's like, oh well, they, they, obviously you know this, these streets and your military backgrounds as well. Mm. I think first, so maybe they've both served in Nam or something like this, you know. So they they're well versed in it, you know, which obviously comes into play to play later. But uh, no, I think they work really well as a pair. You buy it, don't you? As well, yeah. they don't seem they don't seem like an odd couple or anything like this. <laughs> they they seem like a, a, a really effective sort of unit, you know. It's uh, good. I mean, I think you know, unlike Cobra, where you get no backstory for Stallone's character, yeah. at least here, there's a bit more meat on the bone. And the guy says, "Oh, your wife left you because of your dedication to the job." And we we even meet the ex. Obviously, about the end, we meet the ex-wife Lindsay Wagner, and we learn that their relationship is, you know, there's still some love there. They, they try, they're trying to reconcile, but obviously, his dedication to the to the job drove them apart, you know. So um, there is a bit more meat on the bone of the characters, I think, in this film than there certainly is in Cobra, where they're pretty pretty wafer thin. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the weird things as well, you said, it's been a seventies film. The, the one of the key differences between this and you know when we get to Cobra, and a, a lot of um, Stallone films, but I'd say even a lot of just cop films is uh, De uh, Silva, Stallone's character in this film isn't trigger happy like although they've got all the big guns and they are kicking ass and other stuff like you don't see them actually kill anyone like they, they they are looking to take people in that's the point yeah and actually it's called out like when that you say when the interpol guy or the, the um scotland yard guy sort of they're having this conversation about being a terrorist or how you take down terrorists yeah and i love there's this monologue about you have to be more violent than the terrorist and it's just really 
to be honest, living, you know, watching this and obviously recording this in 2021, and everything that's gone happened in the last sort of like 18 months to two years, you know, these things scares of like police brutality and yeah. you know, sort of these things. This notion of the police saying, like, no, no, we are encouraging you to be more violent, you've got to be more terrible than the terrorists take on the, these people. Is, is this sort of, you know, it's clearly like a precursor to like, you know, police brutality and the militarization of the police. But I love the fact that Stallone steps up. De Silva's like, look, I didn't join the police to kill people. I joined the police to save people, to stop mm. crime. I'm, this isn't me. And so I love the fact that he's closer to like Rambo, you know, in that sort of, um, you know, he's trying to sort of like... Uh, uh, usurp these expectations you, you think you expect him to be this gung-ho cop and he's not like he's there going like we might do crazy stuff but i'm not here to kill people yeah and so i don't want to do it i won't take the shot and, and then you know he sort of befriends this sort of guy from the from the from london but he says to him like you've got 52 confirmed kills and he says like you know yeah that was the military this is the police like he, he's, he's drawn this line in his life and i find that fascinating yet he is driven to it by the end of the film and that's sort of the point that um, but yeah, no, it, 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 it you say it just gives more to these characters, like you know, the Stallone character of this film is a lot, you know, has a lot more depth, uh, than I expected. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a complete 180 from the other film we're going to talk about in a bit. Yeah. Is that you know, in that film, he'll pull the trigger without even you know, blinking an eye, whereas yeah. in like you said, in this, he, he really doesn't want to do it, and you know, that ultimately the film's going to come down to that because, yeah. He's the leading man. He's the star of the show. So it's only him who's going to actually kill the baddie at the end of the film because that's what mm. you do. So you know he's going to have to do it. And, he, you know, even, well, not he doesn't pay the price, but obviously his, his partner, uh, Fox, Billy D. Williams, kind of pays, well, he, he lives to fight another day, but obviously gets badly cut up by Rutger Howard and doing that mm. awesome chase scene they have through the through the subway purely yeah. because Stallone was reluctant to take the shot and shoot him because he obviously he's got a, a he's holding a lady hostage in front of him with his knife to her throat obviously if he, if the shot goes awry or something yeah. then the lady he could have the lady's death on his hand he won't take the shot but he had the shot and he could have taken it and then saved his you know his partner getting a horrific scar up the mm. side of his face so it all kind of adds to that and then like you said, the very end, the tension is like you said, slightly dissipated with the, you know, banana arm awake. wake. <laughs> but um, it, you know, it all builds up to that, and you do feel the weight of it really. And you know, oh, yeah. Co Cobra has no weight, emotionally yeah. speaking. This film has plenty. There's a lot yes. more to do in that film, I think. For Stallone, yeah, a bit yeah, more yeah. emotional heavy lifting, isn't there? Oh yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you know, he he has that connection with with the the Rutger Hauer character, you know, you, you have that feeling of like, you know, they've, they've got this nemesis kind of connections as building through the film. But even when like, you know, Billy D gets sliced, um, he survives, he goes to the hospital. Yeah. As you say, they've had great chemistry. They work really well together. And there's a moment when, like, you know, Billy D sort of calls to loan, he sort of lean in and you think he's going to say something reassuring, like, you know, mm. you did what you could, you know, mm. I've got faith in you. And he doesn't, he says, you should have taken the shot. Mm. So even yeah. his partner's like, no, no, you fucked up on this one. Like it's on you. And yeah. you know, it, like you say, it keeps adding this weight of like the world is applying pressure to Stallone, uh, De Silva. To you know, you've got to take the shot. The only way out of this is to take a life. Um, yeah. You know, it's like you or him kind of deal. Um, and so you're right that that ending 
when the reveal when he does spin around in his in his you know in his house coat and uh, his wig. But it's you, you know, that aside, there is a clear moment in that. Uh, yeah, but you know the film's coming to an end. But there's still a, a second when you're like, is he going to take the shot? Mm. Yeah, he doesn't blow him away straight away. He waits for Howard to jump jump at him, doesn't he, with the knife? Mm. You know, to actually give it to give him in effect, give him no choice but to yeah. pull the trigger. He's, he he's to, looking for an out. Yeah. He's looking for someone to know because I'm convinced that yeah, you know, for, for De Silva, the character, like if if. Rutger Howard's character had, you know, what's his name, Wolfgar, Wolfgar, yeah, had had surrendered at that point. Like he would have much preferred to have taken him in. Oh yeah, hundred percent. He didn't want to kill him. That's, no, like you said, it's not his mo. You know, he's not that kind of person. So it was quite an interesting way to do it. You know, um, and yeah, it's a shame in a way it came down to that because I, it, I suppose, it, in a way, if he'd have been locked up, there was always maybe ground for some more. Because I think Rutger Howard in this film is absolutely sensational. Yeah. I think really it, is. It, it, it was his first ever American film. This it was his, really? US, his US debut. Yeah, I think was it Blade Runner like the year after eighty two something like that. It maybe? was filmed after this. It was. It came out in yeah. It came out eighty two. So yeah. yeah. Be... Um, so this is his first ever American uh, production, yeah. and he is just magnetic in it, isn't he? Yeah. He is super villain. I mean. It, it, his character seems to have an irresistible sort of pull on on women. He can, when he's trying to find a woman to sort of uh, sort of shack up with to have like a safe house, he, he can literally just go to a nightclub and you know just so that you see him, he's just sat stood at the bar drinking champagne, isn't he? Just just looking around the dance floor for a suitable woman, and then he sees one, he just goes over to her and starts chatting, and then Bob's your uncle. He is just a magnetic presence in this film and 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 such a such a great performance such a cerebral villain as well isn't he well he, he, and he's such a charming like you know it's clear yeah. that he, he is a psychopath but like he is endlessly charming in this film like, mm. like you say magnetic is a really good word um in some of the standoffs that they have like you said that what that really good chase that they have in the uh, the subway mm. um and, and all of that like you know he, he you say He's able to sort of he's, he's athletic and also you know he's, he's capable of getting away, but he's brutal. Like he's not scared of, of doing what is needed to sort of get away. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you know they do they go for the uh, the the, te- the act of terrorism at the end on the uh, the the cable car. Yeah. Um, and like just the way he has the way he talks to the hostages, like he he wants them to know that he knows who they are. You know, he works around them, and he's sort of saying, sort of, you know, he you know, he mentions people they know or their relationship and stuff. Like he knows who they are, and it's just he's just menacing. But like, he is. in that sort of like calm, um, very charming way. Like you know, he he is really good in this film. It's a really sort of it's a great performance. Um, oh, yeah, brilliant. He, he is a great, but he's a great villain, isn't he? And yeah. like you're saying in that that cable car scene, there's moments of of pure like not charm but you kind of see a, a different side to him like when he's sort of going around it he says to one of the women says oh i love your hat you know yeah. just just yeah. out of nowhere and then there's obviously there's a baby in the cable car and he you know he he says something like i don't want people to think i haven't got a conscience or something mm. like that and he arranges obviously for the baby to be escorted out of the cable car and out of the situation so no harm will come to it so there's a weird kind of side to him isn't there where he's Yes, like you said, he, he is a complete psychopath. He's a fucking nutter. Yeah. But 
there's there's something going on. There's almost like a really weird, twisted sort of sense of morality likes, there, almost. Yeah, it? almost. But because he likes playing games as well, and like mm. it's clear that he's zoned in on De Silva. Like, oh, you're yeah. the one that I'm going to try and really mess with. Because obviously, you know, that bit when they have the helicopter watching, and he says, um, you know, yes, I'm going to let. I want the. You know, there's a child on board. There's an infant on board, and you know, I'm going to yeah. let it go. I want, like you say, I want. I don't want people to not think I've got a conscience. And he said, but I want, I want him to come and get, to get the baby. And um, Sloan's like, yeah, me. He knows what it is. And then when he gets w- winched up and they hand the baby over, then he gives him the letter. Like, this is what you've got to give to the United Press. Like, these are my demands or, the, you know, and this is my explanation. And there's a great line when he says sort of like, you know, so yeah, you can drop the baby, but you cannot drop these. <laughs> and, you know, he's being sort of like, you can tell you that he's not, he's not, it's just joking, but like, he, he his delivery is so like again like you know um just sort of like menacingly sarcastic like you know he he just yeah he has an endless charm to him i think um he'd have got on with uh like hans gruber you know like yeah yeah i was thinking that myself actually he's almost like yeah. the prototype for hans yeah. gruber isn't he this sort of european debonair good-looking well-dressed gentleman gentleman terrorist so to speak yeah he's not like some sweaty lunatic like in the delta force no. um you know <laughs> he's um you know he's extremely erudite charming debonair chap isn't he but still a still a completely evil wrong yeah, yeah. and got what he deserved at the end mm. of the film no no question for all the atro- atrocities he committed you know a terrible person but there's that there's that certain something isn't there where you, that you, Euro want, swan, you want to see more it? of him don't you yeah. yeah yeah he's a character you would like to see more of because he is so like you know enjoyably arch you know he's sort of that euro suave um that you know and he's obviously that, that confident like and you know it's almost uh, the, I love the fact that they don't lean into certain things. You know, they, there were some easy bits. Like, you know, uh, when the the woman he is shacked up with finds his like uh, case full of stuff, yeah, she breaks into it and it's like got grenades in and guns and all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, the guy's not messing around. Like the dude's like got he's he is packing some heat. Yeah, and, and her <laughs> ex, like, her excuse is so piss poor. She's just like, I saw it and I just couldn't help myself from looking, and you know, he he sort of. The, the look he gives her, like you know, I think other directors would have given it a line like, "Oh, you know, this is I'm, I'm so you know, well, you know, curiosity killed the cat or something like that." He just, yeah, yeah. he just looks at her like, "I'm so disappointed." <laughs> like, like, oh, now I've got to, but I'm not disappointed in you. It's more like I'm disappointed. Like I've now got to go and find somewhere else to live. Like you know, this is yeah, you, you've messed up this part of the plan. Um, and so yeah, he is. He's he's very good in this film. I think I find him like you say. Uh, endlessly watchable, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this film was was sort of um, surprising to me for the reasons we said. Like you know, I was thinking when I did this, I set up because I like I do like Night Horse. It's been a while since I saw it. I thought I'll throw it in because it's one of those films that doesn't get talked about enough. And when I'm having watched this, I, 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 I'm really disappointed. It doesn't get talked about more. It doesn't, does it? When people talk, when people talk about Stallone's canon, and they go, "Oh, what are your favourite Stallone films?" No one ever says this, do they? Obviously, no. people go to the blockbuster Rocky and Rambo franchises, of course, because that's what his, that's his, that's his, you know, his main, what he made his name mm. of. And they pull out other films, of course, but this one is such a a sleeper in his sort of overall catalogue, isn't it? It's weird. Yeah, and this is one of those films that you know, like people talk about. 
I mean, you know, this isn't a masterclass. Like, it's not an acting masterclass. Like, you know, it's still a young Stallone, yeah. you know, finding his way. And But, you know, this is up... For me, this is up there. This is something different from him. And you're right, I think this gets lost in that Rocky Rambo um, era. You know, yeah. like... The, this early, this late seventies, early eighties, because again, like Rambo came out in eighty two, didn't it? Uh, First Blood, yeah. Um, and so that, which is the year after, and then just before this, you've obviously had like Rocky two. Yeah. I think Rocky two comes out in eighty one, so around or eighty, so around so it's a similar, similar, similar era. So yeah, this film just seems to get caught in the shuffle of those other films that people know a lot more, and it is a real shame. Yeah, I would definitely recommend people go check this film out. Like it's not like you say, it's not. You know, like a, a huge sweating action movie, but it's it's a really good, like d- New York detective thriller. It is, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's dated in the in in yeah. the way it looks and the the dialogue and um. I didn't I wanted to mention it, especially the music in this film by Keith Emerson, the British prog rock legend, mm. God rest his soul. But the music is pure like seventies prog rock all the way through. Oh, yeah, I was loving it. Like I was. I lo- I was. I was tapping yeah. my foot too. I was watching it the other night. I remember how Sarah was looking at me going, you sad git, because she hates all that kind of music, Well, whereas I love it, you know. But I, I love all that, so it was great, you know. I mean, especially compared to uh, the Cobra film where they, yeah. they'd move, they'd, they'd, you know, it's just non-stop sort of 80s melodic soft rock all the way through, mm. isn't it, you know. Um, so it, it's kind of date-stamped, this film, but I, I think it's great. I think it does hold up. I think the I performance, performances are good. It's well-made. Yeah. Um, you know, it's well put together. It's like you said, it's not, if you're looking for a Stallone action film, you ain't going to get it here, but no. it, it's it's a good, good film with a good cast. And I, I'd, I'd watch it again on repeat. It's a really good, well-made yeah. film, I think. Well, the, the film has several sort of like, you know, it, it's not it's not even like a straightforward film. Like it has moments of twist. Like the, the end of the film, at one point you think, like Rutger Hauer's won. Like, you know, he gets yeah. on the bus. You know, he's called for a bus and, and you know, uh, it's delivered. And then they drive it off into the river. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, hang on. <laughs> What's going on? Um, yeah. And, you know, all the hostages and stuff, there's hostages and stuff on there. So, in a way, like, you know, uh, Rutger Howard's character wins in parts of it. So it's 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 not, uh, you know, like a roo-ha-ha kind of film. Like, it's got darker moments and it definitely, like you say, it fits into that 70s mould. It's probably one of the the, the last, you know, the, the, the end of, of that 70s sort of like, you know, era. After this, I think, um, you know, when you do think of the films, after this, you couldn't do a film like this after 82. No. Like after after uh, 48 hours, you would have to have banter or you'd have to have, you know, a bit of sort of, you have all the action or you'd have increased action, increased levity. After this... The film, this film becomes Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The the, the times just changed, didn't they? Mm. This is this is kind of, it belongs to neither era. It's kind of in between the two, mm. isn't it? This film, you know, it's kind of maybe that explains why it kind of gets swept under the the rug or lost in the ether because it, it's kind of neither one decade or the other, if that makes sense. It came yeah. out in the eighties, but it's not an it. It came in the eighties, but it's not an eighties in inverted no, film, is film. it? No, it does. Like we said, it looks like a seventies film, so it's it's kind of a film out of time, isn't it? Yeah, it just missed its just missed its date, I think, which is really yeah. unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I mean, like so, I think really for for those listening. 
you know, we, we've given an overview of it. I don't think we've spoiled a great deal. There's still so much to enjoy from this film because it's it's worth seeing. E- even to see the, another side of Billy D. Williams <laughs> as well. Yeah, he is. You He's know? great in it, isn't he? He yeah. is great. I mean, you know, we obviously everyone knows him as Lando Carcian. That's the role that he'll forever be defined mm. by for... Uh, the rest of his career because that's by far and away his most famous role and he's not had what you might call an illustrious career with loads of big roles obviously Harvey Dent in Batman and and things like that but this is um his character's a hard-hitting you know kick-ass you know swearing like a trooper you know kicking down doors kind of guy he's not what you've seen in in other films so I think he's great in this it shows his versatility doesn't it yeah yeah so no I would say like you know if uh yeah, if you're a Stallone fan and you've never seen this, because I think you know it's one of those, it's the lesser known films, go check it out. You know, I found it on uh, I rented it on, on Prime for a couple of quid. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure you could probably pick up on if you go on eBay or whatever, you can pick this up on DVD or whatever pretty cheap. Oh, a couple of quid at the most on DVD. Yeah. So it's never had a Blu-ray release over here, but no, I'm sure I, that I'm sure one day it will. Yeah, it must have. I was looking for it, and there was actually actually after after I watched it, I was like, I wonder if this has had like a you know sort of like Arrow do or like eighty eight films, you know one on one films. Like, oh, I wonder if one of them's actually done this. No, like this, but this film is ripe for uh, one of those sort of like special editions, you know, all the extras and all those kinds of things. I'd love this to get you know like. I don't, you know, I'm not worried about 4K. Like, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not worried about them hunting down the negative <laughs> to give it a big shiny release. But yeah, a, a decent Blu-ray release like this, I'd definitely, I'd buy it in an instant. Like, I really would. I would, um, yeah. I mean, I, I had to get a German Blu-ray. I've got, yeah, um, so, which has, yeah, yeah. It has no extras on it. You know, mm. you have to go in and change the audio to English when you start, or else you get the whole film dubbed into German, no subtitles. <laughs> so the, the only bad thing is when I think when he meets, when Howard meets up with, I can't remember the lady's name, but she's his co-terrorist, yes. for want of a better word. And they have a like a tete-a-tete in a confession booth. I think they're talking in German and not there's no subtitles. <laughs> so to this day, I've got no fucking clue what that dis- what that discussion is. Other than it ends with the trip for him to the um, sort of underground plastic surgeon to get a new face. Um, so just, just so, so you know, so I have that, no that, idea what yeah. to say. <laughs> that, that that is literally what that conversation is about. Is right, that okay. you you have been identified and you need to change your face. Right. And he and he sort of he sort of reject not rejects it, but he's reticent to do it. And she convinces yeah. him, and that's when he goes. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, no, it, 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 it I, 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 yeah, it's ripe for it. You know, I don't think, I don't think Arrow or anybody knows listen to this, but they should do, you know, because we always have great ideas on this podcast about the things they should be doing. Um, but yeah, no, if one of those picked this up and, and did a sort of a, a Blu-ray release of it for over here, I'd, I'd, I'd buy that instantly. Me too. But, Me yeah. too. So guys, go out and try out Nighthawks. I think it's a great yes. film, 1981. Um, as I said, so Sloan, Billy D. Williams, Rutger Hauer, great, great film. So we're going to jump forward five years, and what a five years it has been for Sylvester Stallone from 1981. I mean, he's already, already a name by 81, you know, the Rocky uh, films have taken him, he's already won an Oscar, but after that he's had uh, Rambo, uh, Rambo 2, so Ram- yeah, Rambo First Blood, uh, First Blood Part 2, and the rest of the Rocky films have come out by 85, they're up to number 4, uh, by 85 so you know uh, Stallone is becoming a much bigger household name like you know he, I'm trying to think of other films he's done by that point but there, was a, there are a ton um, and so 
he, as I said, he was offered this part of the of, of a film. I don't think it was called whatever it was called, but Beverly Hills Cop was what it became <laughs> with Eddie Murphy, and he took it away and he wrote a script, and that was then further tuned up, and it became Cobra. Now Cobra was was uh, produced by Warner Brothers. Um, but they didn't really want to believe it because they obviously they did it as a favor for Stallone, and so it was distributed by Canon Golden yes. Globus, and so it sort of sits slightly adjacent to the Canon. And people often think I thought for years this was a Canon movie, hmm. um, but it's not. It's distributed by Canon. Yeah. Um, um, and so yes, Cobra. He, you know, crime is the disease, and he is the cure, as the tagline <laughs> goes. Uh, and so Cobra is again. Um, he's a Los Angeles police officer now. Um, Marion Cobretti. What a um, name! Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's a, he's, like say, he's a he's a badass, ass kicking, no rule, you know, rule breaking, no one tells him what to do kind of cop uh, that leads a sort of a, you know, him and his partner are known as sort of again as sort of like these these mavericks, um, and they're called in the what are they call the zombie squad. The um, zombie squad, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there, there's, there's a suspected serial killer in Los Angeles, and but it's not. It actually turns out to be a cult of killers killing people on a frequent basis. And they end up tra- targeting uh, Bridget Nielsen uh, when she witnesses them killing somebody in a car park, if I remember rightly, or, you know, or no, yeah. on the side, yeah, sorry, and she escapes. And so she becomes a material witness to this crime. And so they chase her down, and eventually they move her out of the city into sort of the, the California countryside, and they pursue, and it goes to all-out war um, by the end. Uh, and, and Stallone sort of confronts um, the cult and the, the cult leader, um, played by, and I forget the guy's name, I only ever know him from the X-Files, but he is like, he was also a, Stallone, um, a Schwarzenegger body double uh, stuntman for a few things. Um, Brian Thompson is his that's name. That's it. Yeah. He's one of the. He's in the first in the first Terminator film. He is. He's one of those three punk rockers with Bill Paxton. He is. Yeah. He goes says, "Give me your clothes and all this," yeah. and he, you know, wash day tomorrow, nothing clean, right? Yeah. All that. Yeah. He's, he's one of those. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, you're right. And so he, yeah. just, he pops up in all these films. Um, but the, this this film is again is, is very stylized. Like it opens with people sort of stood in a, I don't know where, like a filthy basement factory thing. <laughs> cracking axes together to, to a sort of a some rhythm thing um and then when it starts like you say it, it, it opens with um like a, a statement of intent doesn't it like a, one of these killers i think the guy's supposed to be part of this cult the guy in the super in the in the supermarket yeah takes up like hostages in a supermarket and you know kills one guy and all the police outside are like, you know, we don't want to hurt you. We want to help you. And they're all trying to negotiate. And Cobra sneaks in and basically sort of like, you know, like levels, like kills him. And um, it's, you just straight away, you understand who this guy is. Like, you know, um, where, where De Silva was reluctant to take the shot, as you said, like, you know, with Cobra, you sneeze, you're likely to get shot at. So. Yeah, there's no hostage negotiation tactic, <laughs> no. you know. I mean, even after after you shot him, he does the old Billy the Kid spinning the gun round on your yeah. finger before yeah. before reholstering it in his pants. Yeah. So it shows how much that death weighs on his conscience afterwards. Not not at all, you know. He ain't haunted by any life he's taken, is he? Well, 
even when he comes out, when he comes out and like the press confront him, one of the press or someone says, um, you know, even criminals have the right of protection f- uh, by the law. Mm. And he grabs him and shows him the dead guy that was sort of killed. And he says, well, you know, you tell that to this guy's family and all this sort of stuff. So mm. you, you get like, you know where his, his bread is buttered. Like you say, he's, if you, if you break the law, you know, then as far as You're he's concerned, <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, you know, um, it's yeah. It, 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 this becomes a, this becomes a bit of a staple because that scene um, of being set. You know, again, it felt like there's more humor in it, but it felt like the um, a replay or was replayed for Demolition Man, the start of Demolition Man. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, he, he saves the little girl, and the little girl, and the policeman says, "You know, how can you justify destroying a nine million pound or nine million dollar shopping mall to save one girl?" And the little girl says, "Fuck you, Mister." <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, so uh, you know, it feels like this has becomes a bit of a Stallone staple. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, what are your thoughts as, for Cobra overall as a film? Like you know, as you say, it doesn't carry the emotional weight of the first film, but no, it's 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 kind of standard mid eighties action fare, if that yeah. makes sense. You know, I mean, what's interesting that that film starts with a bit of a voiceover from Sly, where he comes out with some statistics. There's like in America, there's a, a robbery. Yeah. Obviously, I can't remember the exact times. So no one, no one shoot me for, um, you know, getting the stats wrong. But he says something like, "There's a there's in America, there's a robbery every twelve seconds. There's there's a rape every thirty seconds. There's there's mm. a there's, a, there's a, a, a kidnapping. You know, every so often. And yeah. it's all it's all in slow while the slow motion close up of his of his gun, you know, it kind of just from, tells from you where the this... handlebar doesn't it along the barrel. Yeah, yeah. 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 It kind of tells you where the film's going before you even <laughs> see anyone. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of using those stats to justify their actions for the ensuing 90 minutes, isn't it? Saying, well, this is what's happening in the world. This horrific stuff is happening all the time. So you need pe- men like Marion Cabretti, who has mm. a literal, a literal take no prisoners approach. Yeah. This is the only way, it's the only way you're going to stop them, you know, and that whole, there's that whole back and forth with the, um, the guy who, um, who funnily enough is uh, from one of your favorite friends, plays Larry Cotton in Hellraiser, doesn't he? He does. He does. The, the, yeah. um, the uh, other guy who's like the pen pusher yeah. police guy with the glasses. He's, he's perfect like, he's, as well in this film. He's, he's such a knob in this film. He's so well, he's a dick, well cast. He? Yeah. yeah. He is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's like the sort of antithesis, the sort of, opposite complete opposite of stone's character he's the the man in the suit and the glasses the the pen pushing policeman yes. by the numbers policeman not stallone um but like cabretti's like this sort of typical 80s cop figure really lives in a shithole you know the missus has probably done one because of you know he was always on the job or whatever and but you know total badass and these cops despite the fact they, they live in squalor they always have great cars don't they yeah, as well I was gonna they, say, they, yeah. they always drive a great car i mean in this one it's you know even as a nitrous oxide you know vin diesel fast and the furious yeah. thing to which he uses later on to get the edge in a big car chase with the um the baddies um so they they, they always seem to have i guess that's why they can afford these cars because they live in mm. squalor and spend all the police salary on these beautiful cars um but he is in the he's kind of um there's no like we said the, the, the character he plays in nighthawk dig the silver is a you know a three-dimensional character with backstory and relationships whereas cabretti is literally just you know cookie cutter yeah. 80s cop great i still you know i still like mm-hmm. it very much and you know sly's great as always in this film very charismatic but there's not much behind what you see on the screen is there really no i mean they, they, at one point they do try to give him some depth 
when uh, there's a conversation at like a and when they when they are traveling with uh, Bridget Nielsen later on, yeah. And his partner says, you know, um, if you want to know anything about his past, go call him this. And he's like, oh, what's that going to be? And she goes up and calls him Marion Cobretti, like she, you know, acknowledges yeah. his name. And she, he says something about being tough, and he says, "We'll try and be," you know. She's always, oh, you know, you know, I have to be tough. He says, "We'll try growing up being called Marion." That's about. <laughs> yeah. That's that's about it. <laughs> that's literally the the the, you know, the background you get. And you go, right, okay. <laughs> yeah. I was convinced before I watched this. I was convinced in my head, and I've remembered it. And obviously, it doesn't happen. I thought there was a scene in this film where they talk about how long they've been partners. You know, this thing of sort of like. Um, you know, the usual thing of like, you know, we've been partners for five years and, you know, you're going to leave me on the outside kind of thing. Like, I, I just, for some reason, assumed that was in there because it's such a cliche and this film is loaded yeah. with so many cliches. And there's not even that, like, between him and his partner. Like, they're just sort of, his partner's a complete, like, non-event. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> like, is, yeah, yeah. He's kind of there just to be there, isn't he, really? You know, It's, it's almost like, well, we know the police work in twos so he has to have a partner. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we have to give him anything to do. <laughs> no. No, he, he literally does nothing apart from get shot near yeah. the end, uh, although he doesn't die, which I, I, I kind of remembered him dying. But mm. when I rewatched it this week, I was like, oh, he actually survives. Oh, well, fair play to him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the characters just kind of don't, don't massively enhance the plot, do they? You've just got Sly, yeah. you've got the damsel in distress, you know, his, his then wife, obviously. Mm. Uh, and then, obviously, Brian Thompson, who, who's a complete 180 from Rook Howard's character, who's charming, cerebral, debonair. This guy's just a sweating lunatic, isn't he? Who's yeah. just sort of, you know, barely barely says anything. You never, we never hear what his name is. He's just called the Night Slasher or the Night, yeah, night yeah. Slasher. Yeah, the Night Slasher. So even these people in his cult never refer to him by his name or anything like this. So you don't know what his deal is, why he's formed this cult. You know, what's driven, what's driven him to it as such. At least I don't recall that being the case. No, no, it's never, it's never explained. Yeah, uh, and again, like you say, it's it's interesting that they pick him because. So the moment so the, there were several scenes when I was thinking, are they trying to emulate something? Um, so there's a scene. Um, I mean, let's be fair. This film, it's a cop film. It's a cop action film. It ends as a cop action film. Yeah. But it is a cop action film in a slasher movie. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. and that's what I when I watched it. This is the first time I really thought about it. So there's several scenes, um, where. I was like, this, these deaths are very, like, you know, if they were all done by the same person, like, you could put a costume on these people and it would be a slasher film. Like, you know, you could see your Michael Myers or your Jason or whatever. So there's a one where they bump in, they, they bump the back of the, this woman's car mm. on the side of the street. I think this is when they get, this is when, when Bridget Nielsen sort of, this is the murder she witnesses. And a woman comes over and, and she says, like, I can't believe you hit me. You've you been drinking? And she's like, oh, yeah. And then a guy comes in, they tack her in the car, don't they? And she's sort of yeah. you know, all wild eyes and stuff. And it's surprisingly like you don't see a great deal, but it feels brutal because it's sort of like it's quite visceral and quite kinetic. Mm. And then later on, when Bridget Nielsen's in the hospital and they find out where she is, uh, and you know, you've got Stallone like charging over there because he finds out that they found out where she is. But like, and, and, and you say that the night slash is in that, that janitor's uh, uniform. Yeah. Him stalking the hospital is, you know, incredibly similar to, it made me think of like, you know, like say Halloween 2, yes. um, but also like the Terminator, 
like him just sort of calmly walking around the hospital and eventually realizing that he can't go against the flow of the people because she sets off the fire alarm and he just gives it and walks away. It's like, mm. that's a very logical response. Like, have they chosen him because they couldn't have Arnie? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, he he just kind of had that sort of muscle bound. Mm. You know, monosyllabic kind of thing going on doesn't he he's kind of kind of a nondescript character but it, it kind of works doesn't it i think oh, in the, no, context does. The, the context of the film you know you he is kind, kind of genuinely scary in a couple yeah. of parts you know especially when he's walking around the hospital and he's sort of he's dyed his hair black to try and yeah. be unrecognizable like you know that's gonna change it <laughs> and he's he's um you know you think you think he's gonna about to kill that nurse in the lift as well mm. she gets out just before he, he knifes her and um you know he, he, like you said he is like like this horror movie character isn't he yeah stalking stalking his prey it's a weird kind of you know he's not like a a typical act, 80s action movie villain really so in that respect i, I quite like it in that I, it's interesting it more now yeah, yeah. again like they, they've done something different they've done something interesting so i kind of relate it i respect that i kind of like that they've done that that i find that fascinating mm. Um, but again, like they miss things that I think would have been even cool. Like, like you say, if they'd have given more depth, to like why are these people following him? Like if he's like, you know, they're trying, if they're going to try and set him up as the next Charles Manson, why yeah. are they? Because in that opening scene, when you have them all like with their hands over their head and they're clacking the, the axes together, yeah. it pans across like the people that are there. And you see him, you know, sort of like he's there. But then you see like there's a, there's a younger woman there um, in, a, in a blue dress. Yeah. And there's, there's all these people that look like bikers, and these are the people. They end up, they say, there's this woman in a blue dress. There's an old man in a suit, mm. um, and the, so you're going like, who are these like regular people that have been attracted to this weird death cult? Like, I want to know, like, why? What's the story for this cult? But they just become sort of like fodder, don't they, for for Stallone later? Um, yeah, he must kill about twenty of them <laughs> on his own at the end of yeah. the film. He's he, twenty to thirty of them get get shot by Sly or yeah. eliminated in the factory at the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, it would have been great to sort of learn a bit more. I mean, we, we you know, they're sort of like this cult who want to sort of kill everyone who they see as weak, don't they? Or something mm. to leave the strong to sort of rule the earth. You know, it's, they've got a big job on the hands then if yeah. that's what they're going to yeah. do. It's going to take a lot of years, <laughs> um, but that's kind of like their MO. But like you said, how and why do you join? You know, like, like you said, the old geezer in the suit, how did he get there and you know he might have that outlook on life but then how do you sort of stumble across a cult like that when you're a man like that you know yeah. how does that how does that work they would but they just kind of arrive fully formed and and all die don't they really which is a shame i would have liked to have seen a bit more. yeah there's more to it that, you know and it is i say it's a bit like it's two-dimensional a bit way for thin but i mean the thing is that this is all set up for action but i do like some of the horror elements like that you know uh, again when bridget nielsen's trying to escape um in the pet uh, the, the the car park yeah because she's a model isn't she you know and yeah. um and so she her, her her friend or photographer whatever gets killed and then she's on the run and stuff like again that seems really good it's it's well set up as like a horror you know she's been pursued by a bunch of people with axes and stuff like um it's 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 intense enough to i mean i mean they Whilst in the previous film, like I was invested in the characters and sort of like say it's a thriller and you sort of enjoying the, the plot and you you know you carry it. I, I'm enjoying the intensity of the action with Cobra. Yeah. That's that's the sort of the what's driving the roller coaster in this case. Um yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's 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 weird though, isn't it? There's kind of 
I remember at one point there's the, the weirdest montage in the film, which is such a weird juxtaposition. You get this sort of 80s rock song playing and it's like a three-way montage of <laughs> yeah. Brian, Brian Thompson murdering people. Yeah. Um, Stallone and his partner sort of going, shaking down people, trying to get some info, you know, they've been mm. told to go, go and hit every shit all in the city and see what you can dig up on this, on these guys. And then the third part of it is Bridget Nielsen modeling the weirdest modeling shoot where she's yeah. posing with robots. I mean, yeah. What's going on? What, what is she selling? Robots? They were, they, were, um, they, were, they were left over from Rocky Four, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Paulie's uh, ex-girlfriend yeah. or something. But I don't understand that. Like, she's kind of like in swimwear or dresses, but like posing with robots. So what the f- that, that was about? I have no idea. But it's such a weird, a weird clashing together of people doing different things that don't tonally fit oh, against yeah. some like inspirational 80s rock montage music it's can it's so weird the mu- but i do the, like it <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting or it's what it's the moment in the film it's probably there are two moments in this film where you do go like yeah. what the fuck is going on like i don't yeah. understand this and that is the first one when you do because it's, it's one of those montages where you just go like eh I don't, what? <laughs> like it makes no it's a montage was incredibly 80s it's clearly one of stallone's favorite things um, oh yeah but that that one yeah it's like the music fits her modeling like you know if it was a romantic mm. comedy or something else it would be fine yeah. but yeah when you as you say when it's juxtaposed against like this, this guy killing people and then these cops shaking people down you are like eh? yeah it doesn't quite go but no uh, you know yeah, yeah. You, can, you can nitpick a bit too much you know but it is what it is. But that the guy who's like the photographer, I've never wanted a guy to get killed so much in my life because he literally, he spends that entire two minutes basically telling her that she must sleep with him for the good of her career. Yeah. I mean, you know, in this day and age, that, that's not really going to fly at all. But he's literally saying, look, I'm, I'm your photographer. I'm telling you this. It'll be good for your career. You just, I'm not asking, he says, it's not like I'm asking you to marry me, I think he says at yeah. one point. Literally, he's, he's literally saying, look, look, love, if, just let's just get it over and done with sleep with me and uh your career is going to really you know go places i mean that's, just, that's that's very 80s kind of yeah. parlance you couldn't really have that in a film now well i was going to say considering again you know the considering the year in which we're recording this and obviously you know post me too and all those other things and the revelations yeah. it tells me that there were certain people in hollywood that the to, to which these things were never revelations it was always a case of like well, no, that's just how we did business. And if you watch mm. certain films in the eighties, it's blatantly obvious that that's what happened. You know, yes, I'm, photo- I'm I'm photographing you, but you know, if you were to sleep with me, I can guarantee the best photos are the ones I share. Yeah, it's all very yeah. It, it feels sleazy as hell. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's weird because um, she, she's sort of like you know she she's not bad in this. I mean, she's I've never found Bridget Nelson to be a, a great actress. Um, no, she's not terrible though, is she? No, she's not she's perfectly you know acceptable. I mean, if you ever watched Red Sonia, like you know her first, one of her first films, like you know, she's a lot better than that. Yeah. And that was in '84, I think. So that's, you know, she's in a couple of years. She's sort of come on pretty well. But but the other scene I find weird is is them you know when they're, they're traveling they have that sort of like they try to have this sort of lighter moment when they're having chips and and <laughs> th- that thing and they have this sort of conversation and it's this sort of like breaking the tension and stuff mm. but the whole thing feels again sort of like it it it, it sort of stops the film dead <laughs> like yeah. for this moment you're like 
you don't need any of this. Like everything you're trying to do here could be compressed into like three minutes somewhere else. Um, yeah. Uh, and it does, it, it almost feels a little bit like they, as they were driving along to a set, they're like, hey, look, roadside shop. Let's film something here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know why, but that, that whole scene really jars with me. It's just very bizarre. Yeah. Um, it, ser- it serves no purpose, does no. it? And, and, you know, the, the, this poor woman has been traumatized and seen people murdered and people are literally chasing her down to kill her. So, you know, so she can't, um, you know, finger them in the, in court and, you know, in, for no, for literally no reason. And and in no time at all, she's fallen for, for slight, for Corbetti as well, isn't she? They're in this, this motel and she's like saying, when this is over, I'd like you and I to, you know, spend some time together or whatever she says and he's like mm. oh, I, don't think that, I don't think that's a good idea you know and she's like i do and then obviously <laughs> they have a they have a, a little snog before the mm. baddies turn up and ruin it but it's you know you can tell obviously like that's it's cliche kind, it was kind yeah. of a thing yeah, yeah. back then wasn't it that the the, the the damsel in distress would fall for the badass hero mm-hmm. by the end of the film no question you know and that would be how the film would would end with them two in together or at least sort of romantically involved you know so it's um yeah it's kind of script writing 101 isn't it for a yeah 80s yeah. action film i mean weirdly we, yeah it is i mean um you know in, in many ways you know, i've literally just thought that this film basically is the terminator for but just from a different slightly different perspective you know it's yeah. um you know Stallone as Carl Reese, Bridget Nielsen yeah. as Sarah Connor, and then uh, your man as who looks like Arnie, yeah. being the the night slasher, being the Terminator, coming after him, just with a lot more characters. So, yeah, uh, you're right. It's again, like I say, I'm expecting it. I'm fully expecting it. It's just that scene, the way that scene plays out. It's like, as you said, this film again is deadly serious. They've sort of, it's not full of banter. It's not full of like, you know. And then they try and have this lighter moment that comes out of nowhere. You know, yeah, you, you know, there's no precedent for this in the film. No, no, it's <laughs> kind of weird. Even there are several moments of dialogue as well that do the same thing. There's a moment, and you know, when he's sort of he's having that. Um, they're in the they're all in the office, and they're basically chewing out Cabretti for for what he's done for his the way he does things, saying that he needs to do it this different way, and he sort of. They tell him, and the end he says, sort of like you know, he says, "You, you, you know, you're listening." He's like, "Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah." And we've got, and he actually said, admits we've got a photo of what we suspect the killer looks like. He's like, "Why haven't you shared it? You know, you're a rogue. You're, you know, blah blah." blah. Mm. And then as he leaves, like this thing's all been dead serious. Like you know, he's he's squared off with some of them and, yeah. and sort of stuff. And then he leaves, and his captain says something. Like, he says, like, "You know, Cabretti, you've got like a, you've got a, you know what, you've got a bad attitude." He says, "Yeah, just a little bit." And it's like, but it's like, is it supposed to be a joke? <laughs> like, are you trying to have a comeback? I don't know what that line is about. It's sort yeah. of, it's so badly, you know, it, the delivery is awful. It's, you know, for Stallone. It's sort of like, I don't know whether he's trying to be funny. I don't think he knows. Like, he's that thing where he does his line. He's like, because there's, he, like, Cabretti doesn't joke at any other point in the film. No, no, he doesn't. He's a very stoic guy, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. He so doesn't a, smile. No, so there's a few moments like that where you're like, hmm, like you know, this needed a little bit of ironing out. But um, overall, though, I have to admit, like, I do kind of, there's something about Cobra that is incredibly enjoyable in that, as you said, like cookie cutter sort of like 80s action um, kind of way. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it 
it kind of falls between being, like you said, almost a horror-ish kind of film with a bog standard 80s film. I mean, I did read somewhere that there's like a, it's never been released or anything. You're talking about obviously things getting re-released on, on you know, sort of Blu-ray. Mm. And that. This film never has been uh, released in an extended version but apparently there's a there's a bootleg rough cut over out there that's over two hours long because this this film when it was first put together the assembly cut it the american censors gave it an x rating because it was so incredibly gory and violent so they cut loads out i mean if you go obviously we'd be here all night if we went through it but honestly if you Mm. go on wikipedia it 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 literally there's like a page and a half of a4 of all the things that were cut out just more violence more gore so they literally had to take so much out just for it to get like is it is it more like the slasher killings and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah like even sort of when when the you know, spoilers, the Night Slasher does die at the end, boys oh, yeah. and girls. But it says here, one of them, graphic close-up of the Night Slasher's wound after he is impaled on that hook. Cobretti repeatedly forces the hook deeper into the Night Slasher as he screams in pain. Um, and there's a lo- and there's loads of that stuff in there, extended death scenes, the photographer we spoke about, the sleazy photographer, extended death scene for him, in which he is hit several more times with axes and attempts to escape, only to slip on his own blood and fall down in a puddle of it before being finished off with even more axe hits so <laughs> it was a really ott i want to see that like forget forget you know forget the snyder cut forget the air cut <clears throat> i want the full cobra cut that's what i oh. want now hashtag release the cobra cut that's what i'm going to go for now that's amazing i didn't know that Anna. Yeah, yeah. It says here, no uncut version or director's court has ever seen an official release. A time-coded work print sourced from poor quality VHS copies exists as a bootleg. Contains all of the X-rated scenes and uncut action sequences, along with, ah, and you'll like this, mm. along with scenes explaining the motives of the New Order gang. Yeah? See, that would have been useful. <laughs> yeah. Focusing on characters such as the Night Slasher and Stork, who was the bent Policewoman who was yeah, yeah, yeah. part of the gang all along, alternate lines of dialogue, and a temporary score which contains some of the songs and music from the theatrical version See, and pieces of scores from other. I mean, what what are we missing, you know? Well, the thing is, I always think about this, you know, because we've got such great, you know, the technology for the restoration of films now is so good. Like, um, yeah. there's a film called Nightbreed for, for anyone listening. I don't know if you do. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Clive yeah. Barker's Nightbreed. Um, was when it was released was was attacked because it wasn't very good. It, it made the theatrical release is fine. It barely makes any sense towards the end. But the, like Clive Barker was always like, no, 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 that's not the film I intended. And so they they for years he was like, oh, I've lost all the footage. And then they found it, and it was like I think it was a VHS copy and a bunch of negatives they found, and they released the cable cut or the cabal cut, I should say. Yes, yes. Uh, and you know I've, that's now been released, and sort of Arrow did it and a few others did it, but like. They cleaned it up as best they can. And if you watch it, um, you can see a, a variance in the quality of the film, but not, not enough to, to worry about, but it makes the film like 10 times better because hmm. um, it provides so much more information. And it's wonderful. Like you can do that. From That was from a video negative and from a VHS copy that was kicking about. Like, yeah, give me the Cobra cut. Go find this bootleg. Clean it up. Let's put it in. A bit of CG takes the, the, you know, the, the, the timestamp out. I'm sure we could do it. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, you know. Definitely, yeah, definitely. I mean, apparently as well, it, it also, it, talking about lack of backstory, apparently it also alludes to um, Cobra's sort of uh, ex- girlfriend or ex-wife being killed by some violent criminal years past you know so again it just 
that would help to really flesh out mm. the put more meat on the bone and actually help us understand what's going on a bit more. So there's so much that was shot and just for whatever reason cut or obviously they had to cut the violence, but then there's other stuff where it kind of expanded on the story and gave you better characters, but they obviously just cut it down as well for, for whatever reason, maybe time constraints. Didn't want, right. Maybe Sylvester Stallone, Mr. Stallone, listen here. <laughs> All right. I know you are currently working on your re-edit of Rocky four. Yes. And so if you can do that, and I am very, very well, much looking forward to that, you know, I will be buying that as soon as it comes out. Next project for you, find this footage and let's do a, let's, I'll do a bloody, what's it called? Kickstarter, find this footage and let's do the Cobretti cut. That's what I want to see, the Cobretti cut. I'm going to get that trending. Um, but that's fascinating. I didn't realise there was that, but I'm, I want it now. I want, I I want that see. in my life. I want to um, see it, yeah. I don't know how long goes about finding these bootlegs, but someone must have a copy somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it, it, must look, it must look awful, but, yeah, you know, but, if it's off a poor quality VHS, but it's better than nothing. And, and like you said, someone could, could clean that up and even, make it watchable. Even if it ended up being just like, here's all the deleted scenes on a, you know, we're going to do a decent Blu-ray edition of this, and here's all those deleted scenes that were, were you know, were missing. Yeah. Cool. Like, I'd, I'd want to see that. Um yeah, but this is a good film. I do enjoy this film. Like it's a bit daft. Um, it's it's you know it's um, it's a, it's a successor to Dirty Harry as well. Mm. You know that there's definitely that sort of in its blood. So it's sort of it has all these things. And it's very much of its age. Because um, you you and I, Max, are you know children of this era. These films yeah. we've talked about sort of like you know would have been in our blood from when we were young. And I do wonder if we were to what if we were to show these two films out. So I'm I'm, I'm talking to my younger audience. Considering like this podcast is called Twentieth Century Geek, I don't know how many there are to be honest. They're all 40, 40 plus year old men sort of going, yeah, that was eight when I was a kid. And um, if there's anyone out there younger than you know, in the, in the sort of the, that's never seen these films, you know, quite yeah. young, no Stallone more from say, I don't know, mid two thousands onwards. Go back and watch these films. And I really want to know what you think. Like, go back and watch Cobra. Go back and watch Night Horse. Let us know what you think. Because um, these are doozies. I think. I think these are both. Like, you know, they're very different, but they're really good films. Worth checking out. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts Definitely. on Any other thoughts on Cobra? Um, I just think it's it's just a very much a, a product of its time, isn't it? You mm. know, it's not by any means a, a great what you call a great film it's not one of stallone's i don't think one of his best you know no. if i if someone said do you name your top say even your top 10 sly films i'm not sure this would get in there to be honest with you i'd, I'd have to think about that but i think it would be just missing out i'd rate nighthawks above this let's say that oh yeah i would i would do that but i mean it, it's fine for its era i mean it's not it's not you know a terrible film it's, it's well made i mean the act the action's decent enough um like you like we've just said obviously there's just too much taken out of it that would have made for a better film mm -hmm. and that film does exist somewhere so let's see it but it, it's okay it's okay it's it's you know it's sly doing what sly did in the mid 80s being yeah. you know kick-ass no-nonsense action man like all his contemporaries were doing at the same time it, if somebody says let's put on a you know kick-ass 80s action film that we don't have to think about we can just chill out for an hour and a half and just enjoy it can't go wrong you cannot yeah. go wrong with it yeah. so it's, it is what it is it's, it's the peak of machismo isn't it this film as well yeah. for Stallone. like you know everything from his costume the car um the weird way he eats pizza 
Um, <laughs> I, don't, if you, I don't know if you noticed that when he goes back to his apartment, he takes a slice of pizza out and then cuts the end off. And he's, <laughs> yeah, weird. Yeah, it's weird. Like, it's, I, th- I reckon that was Stallone improvising, and they're just like, we can't afford any of the film. We'll just go with that scene. That'll do. Um, yeah. yeah, it is good. Now, there was something I wanted to say. Like, I, I was thinking in my head as I was watching this and, and um, uh, Nighthawks. I, 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 in my head, I was trying to think like, can I make this head in my head canon? Can I make these two films that, like, you know, connect them? All oh, right. Yeah. So here's my attempt <laughs> following the events of Nighthawks, where De Silva was forced to make that decision and um, take the shot. Yeah. Killing Wolfgar. It sends uh, De Silva into a bit of a sort of a spiral where. Instead of you know, having lost his sort of like that, the Metropolitan Police mentor, and you know having to kill uh, Wolfgar and, and sort of at this point now Billy D is, you know, doesn't fully trust him. This there's, there's a bit of you know tension that in that sort of relationship now because he didn't take the shot. It starts to really wear on the silver to the extent he starts to sort of become a bit more brutal and a little bit more sort of handy with um, with his gun. And the New York police would be like, look, we, you know, we, you're trying to do, you've got to hold back. Come on, you, you're not, you're not the man you were before. Like his, his ex-wife no longer wants anything to do with him. Know what you've just said, because this fits into what I was thinking. She, she ends up trying to support him and they sort of, you know, they're trying to reconcile. Um, because there's a whole film that exists in between all this. Like because of what happens in the, the gang, she ends up being killed, which pushes him over the edge. And so what happens is he decides that he can't live and work in New York anymore, but he still wants to be a policeman. Well, still wants to be a copper. So he moves to Los Angeles and they agree that, you know, to, you know for his protection, because um, of the events of what this thing happened with this New York gang, he has to change his identity. So he changes his identity and someone chooses for him the name Marion Cobretti. <laughs> <laughs> And so he's stuck with it because that's the identity he's now been given. And so he has to, so he joins the Los Angeles police, police department, but this attitude remains, but he's, you know, he's got enough distance to carry on, but he joins this thing like the zombie squad where he's going to just keep trying to take it out. And he tries to make, he isolates himself. Um, so he's, you know, he always keeps himself slightly distant from his partner um, yeah. and takes on this sort of thing, of, you know, and that's leads up to uh, Cobra. And so I was like, yeah, that, but to me, this is the same guy and he's just gone through it. There's a film or something in the middle that leads yeah. between the two. Um, I know it's complete nonsense, it's complete headcanon, but like, you know, um, if we can do that with Star Wars and extended universe and fanfic, this is my Cobra Nighthawks fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> it works. I'll, yeah. I'll, you know, I take my hat off to you. It, 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 it does completely work and you can, you can almost see that connective tissue between the, between the two you know granted that you know it's, it's two different it is two different characters but yeah. it it does work you can almost see that transition and you know the five-year period would work for the sequence of events mm. you just laid out as well so yeah it yeah it could it could happen it could happen there's there's definitely something in that in that you know if they have if they ever decided to have done a, a sequel to nighthawks what what <laughs> Involving the De Silva character and what we yeah, call yeah. him, you could, yeah, you could quite easily have seen him transitioned into into Marion Cabretti. So not, um, not only, yeah. so not only am I asking for the extended cut of Cobra, uh, I now want to write the interquel, as they call it. I now want to write the interquel uh, comic that covers this. <laughs> so 
yeah, yeah. Look, look out for that kickstarter here i come with uh with two projects that uh, i'm pretty sure no one really wants other than me oh um, well i i want it so that's two of us <laughs> <laughs> excellent that's a tenner we're all in yeah um, great right no excellent but you yeah, know uh max it's been great uh talking these films we, we sort of our summer of stallone has started we've done some uh, two <laughs> D- darker films really i think this works mm. out quite well because it's two quite dark films that you know edgier in that sense um but i've enjoyed talking about them um and you know again i'm going to recommend both of them uh people check them out uh but we're not over we're not done we're gonna we are going to a, a slightly lighter tone really um and we leave in the 80s and we're going to go to the 90s and we are going to be talking in the next episode of our summer of stallone we are going to be talking about two more sort of standalone films cliffhanger and daylight uh, some very, very different films. Uh, a 90s Stallone. Um, and uh, yeah, we shall see what we think of those. But Max, any final thoughts before we sort of, uh, before we leave uh, our lovely listeners? Um, yeah, just that, you know, these are two great films that deserve an audience. You know, they people should seek them out. If you like Stallone, I mean, Stallone, like, as we said earlier, Stallone has had this, unbelievable career where he's still starring in in box office worthy movies you know mm. granted in, in the next one it's voice work and you know he's not physically playing a you know a human shark, shark. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's some mistake of his voice anyway um but yeah i mean you know if you if you're a fan of the man and uh, you know like you said if you're not you know if you're slightly younger than you and i and you know you know him from his sort of last 15 to 20 years work which is also brilliant mm back and check these films out you'll be so glad you did i mean they're, they're great and so you know nighthawks is easily the better of the two that's yes. such a well-made film but again cobra just pure escapism pure pure fun at the end of the day you know that's sometimes sometimes lacking in today's films it's just pure fun um you don't need to think too much about it you know yeah. um <laughs> so get out there and, and get them They'll be, you, you can pick them up for next to nothing um mm-hmm. on dvd and they're you know they're, they're probably on streaming services as well over here in the uk and then in other countries it's probably very easy to to track down a version to watch and they're probably i think they're probably on tv quite a lot as well these days so get them watched is all i can yeah, say yeah we'll not regret it no i agree definitely start out go watch some stallone brilliant right max before we get into where can people find you and uh, what should they be listening of you uh, yeah, if you want, you can find me on Twitter at Maxi Byrne, which is spelled M-A-X-Y-B-Y-R-N-E. If you go there, there's links to different websites. I write sort of comic book reviews and articles for you. Check those out. And then there's a link to the Comics in Motion uh, podcast feed, which my podcast appears on uh, Mandatory Marvel and DC, which, of course, Scott, you've been on and we'll have you on again very mm-hmm. soon, I hope, uh, which is basically just me and a guest or sometimes guests, plural, where they pick a, a book or a story art from either marvel or dc that they particularly like and enjoy and we you know we talk about it for an hour or so and talk about what they like and and we uh, sort of get into it and have a good time with it hopefully people enjoy it so yeah it's called mandatory marvel and dc but it's on the comics in motion network feed where there is as you well know scott you've been on all of them these days, I think. there's an absolute litany of shows yeah. on there uh, lots of different stuff whatever your taste is there's something for everyone on there by some fantastic people who are doing some great stuff so check it out i think their twitter page is at comics in motion p so yeah. go on there there'll be a link to the feed there whichever podcast app you use it is available on there so yeah. uh, and links down below all the kind of links will be putting down below in the uh below this podcast go check great. it out i agree comics in motion do some fantastic stuff anyway ladies and gentlemen if you really like what we're doing 
check out your podcast uh, catcher app. Leave us a review, five stars, four stars. Not going to bother, just gets a review, gets us in there, gets people more aware of us. Uh, and also, if you really like what you're doing, check out our Patreon. We're doing all kinds of bits and pieces over there. But one of the big things we do at the moment, I and Julian Darius are trekking through the Twilight Zone. Every week we are releasing an episode of us talking about a different Twilight Zone episode. And then I've also got like 30 Minute Thoughts, which is me talking for 30 minutes every month, Create a Corner, uh, and all kinds of bits and pieces. Go check out what we're doing on the Patreon. Uh, but as always, Max, thank you very much for today. Uh, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, we shall be back. Uh, on the next episode. Mm-hmm.